Hey everyone, we have a great episode with SB Nation's Bill Connolly joining us from the national site. He'll be joining us for an interview with Tolly in just a moment. But before we do that, I wanted to tell you about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest way to buy tickets. Whether you're going to the national championship game in Arizona, going to see the Clemson basketball team play in Greenville at the well, or you want to go see the Carolina Panthers play throughout their playoff run in Charlotte. SeatGeek is so easy to use, and it's completely different from the other ticket sites. It pulls every option from all those other ticket sites into one place to save you time. Then SeatGeek gives every ticket a grade based on value to help you figure out if it's a good deal or not. So it's a great way to find underpriced tickets. Every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is backed by 100% guarantee. So our listeners can get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code PAWCAST. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code PAWCAST today and we'll see you guys in Arizona. Unbelievable! All right, guys, welcome. Uh, we're joined today by Bill Connolly. Uh, he's on Twitter at, at SBN underscore Bill C. Uh, Bill, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, just a quick intro for our listeners. Um, Bill is the preeminent voice in advanced statistics for college football. Um, he's a published author, and you might know his work. Um, he's a writer on SB Nation, Football Study Hall, and Football Outsiders. He also co-hosts podcasts named Played Nobody, alongside uh, Stephen Godfrey, who was on our show recently. Um, I'd consider that one a must-listen as well. Um, and Bill's also a fellow dad. Um, so, Bill, thanks for joining us, um, and congrats. You survived yet another football season. Um, yeah, it gets kind of harder with the playoff. A lot, of more, a lot more angry people with the playoff, I think. That's the, that's the one thing I seem to have noticed. Yeah, exactly. Um, I imagine you know, a lot of slights being, being felt across the landscape, <laughs> especially certain, certain programs um, in the North. Um, I guess what have you what do you have planned coming up for kind of your, you're going to get your Saturdays and Sundays back? Anything special you've got planned for the off season? Well, I mean, luckily Missouri basketball isn't really going to occupy much of my time again this year. I guess so there's more availability there. I, I don't. I mean, we you know I, I try to leave this open to the wife and the kid now that I'm done dictating the television for the most part. So we'll see what they come up with. I'm sure there will be a zoo trip involved the first time it's above you know. 40 degrees in Missouri again, but that might be a while. Right. Exactly. Um, anything you're excited to dig into and study um, from a football standpoint later on um, once you've got some time to kind of yeah, I mean, <laughs> look into it? Because this is my job, uh, the, the uh, 2016 preview series will begin in like four and a half weeks, uh, which is just hilarious. But um, I got some new, a couple new ideas for that um, th that I'll be playing with. Got a couple of recruiting posts I'm going to do. Um, and, and then otherwise, yeah, just, uh, that, that's the biggest part of it. I, I do want to, at study hall, I'm going to try to dive a little bit more into special teams. Um, with the ratings I use at football outsiders, I haven't really stripped special teams apart. And so, you know, the defensive ratings might have a little bit, might be impacted a little bit by your return game and things like that, that I want to kind of strip apart and make them a little more straightforward. But other than that, uh, other than that, the preview series starts soon enough. 
Yeah, exactly. And National Signing Day is always a, there's a lot of, you know, hubbub going on about that, and that'll be here soon enough, too. Um, we just, we're kind of about to wrap up bowl season, I guess, um, national championship games ahead of us, of course. But I wanted to discuss the 30-some-odd game, 30 to 40-some-odd games we just wrapped up. Um, your S&P Plus rankings were pretty quick to point out Clemson's strength mid-year. Um, Alabama eventually eclipsed us, and then maybe down the stretch they were also questioning some of the validity of Michigan State, Oklahoma State, and Iowa as upper echelon teams. Uh, without further agitating those fan bases, um, how did bowl season fare for you, from your standpoint, from an S&P Plus from, kind of from a rating standpoint, it seemed like it, you know, uh, I need to check and make sure how it ended up, but it seemed like it was hitting about 55, 56% against the spread, which is certainly certainly what you want to see. Um, yep. So it did well in that regard. And then, yeah, it kind of, um, bowl season kind of reinforced some of the narratives that were coming from my numbers, which was that, you know, yeah, Michigan State wasn't a top four or five team. Iowa and Northwestern really, really weren't top 25 caliber teams. Um, Northwestern really wasn't even close. Oklahoma State, you know, Oklahoma State ended up, I think, between 25th and 30th before the Bulls, but they still weren't probably good enough to deserve the bowl slot they got, uh, and that was proven too. So, I mean, overall, you know, you still had Houston, which is drastically low in my ratings, and they they beat Florida State, so it wasn't, you know, S&P didn't do perfect, but it did pretty well, I think. Yeah, for us as sort of obviously ACC football fans and keeping a close eye there, I think Florida State was certainly a disappointment. Um, you could talk about what happened in the game there, but I think also North Carolina. Did you did you see that coming? Obviously, Baylor's running game was not the the hallmark of that offense this season. But right, I mean that was uh, my numbers hated North Carolina too, and so um, I guess that was good re- reinforcement for that one. It was, I mean, it was kind of an awkward situation for North Carolina, and that it, it was a brand new offense that got rolled out and. Um, not brand new, but you know, pretty new, and and it was certainly you know even if you thought they would try to do a lot of zone read and things like that, you didn't really expect them to do it eighty four or eighty two times, um, and and so it had to be kind of a weird situation to react to, um, and you know when you're getting beat up front, it doesn't really matter how you react, I guess. So I guess I guess it did kind of reinforce the numbers in that regard, but it was just such a unique one off performance all the way around in that one. I can't take that one too seriously. Right, that makes sense. Um. And I, you know, I guess the big you mentioned there, getting beat up up front, and clearly that that maybe segues us into the national championship game and some of the matchups we saw in the playoff where uh, the teams that won in the trenches really, really succeeded and and have moved on. Um, I think that was that was most present in our game that we watched against Oklahoma. Um, perhaps on the Alabama side, you know, not taking anything away from what their line play did, but um, they certainly dominated. But I think that. That keyed the story for us against an, an Oklahoma offense, even that you know folks expected to be a lot more explosive in that game. Um, for us, seeing Shaq Lawson go down in that game, we were we were pretty, I would say, worried about Clemson's ability to set the edges and create pressure, and I think they did. So, um, yeah. you know, what from an expectation standpoint, maybe if you watch that game live, seeing Shaq go down, did you think that might have might have spelled some doom for, for Clemson? You know, at this point, I've just given up trying to question any any anything regarding either Clemson line. I mean, they, with the amount that, uh, that they lost on both sides of the ball last year, not only experience, which might or might not be that big a deal, uh, you know, as I 
investigate like year to year improvement and regression experience up front might not matter as much as we always think it does. Mm-hmm. But even beyond experience, the difference makers that they lost, the all conference linemen, the the all American linemen, obviously on defense on the defensive side, for them to lose all of that and 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 replace them with guys who you know, could not only avoid drop off, I think their numbers improved this year. That's just mind blowing to me. So, I mean, yeah, the fact that they lost Lawson felt like it might be a big deal, but I mean, they lost Vic Beasley and everybody else last year too. And that wasn't a big deal either. So no questions for me from here on out. Yeah, it makes sense. And I mean, we've been lauding the performance of the coaching staff and clearly it recruiting matters. Um, and that's, Bud Elliott has, has touched on that, um, where Clemson is in terms of, um, the contra or, Contribution to the entire team of four-star, five-stars. Clemson's right around that sweet spot, 50% mark. Alabama's certainly in the 70s. Um, but I think, yeah, it, you know, and we've, in 2016, we've got another impressive class coming in. So um, when we do, we do have guys go down, it's nice to be able to have that depth. Um, I guess you, you also mentioned big game experience. And a lot of times I think Alabama gets... They have this aura of invincibility, and um, I think a lot of times people associate their current team with the teams of the recent past who went to the national championship, it seemed like, every year. Uh, but as it turns out, I mean, r- really there are no seniors on this team that were playing in, in that in the last time they went to the Natty, which is 2012. Um, you know, certainly Nick Saban was there and Kirby Smart, but Lane Kiffin's also installed a new system. Um, so in terms of like a big game experience edge, do you feel like at this point it's sort of a wash between these teams, both of them well, having played a playoff game and a conference championship, all of that? I mean, I think if there's any experience here, it's that we know, I mean, what, when you get to the title game, you know Alabama's going to play pretty well. Um, you know, the three national titles they won under Saban. First game was impacted by, by Colt McCoy's injury. I'm not, I, they probably would have won even if McCoy played, but I'm not completely convinced of that. Uh, but the last two in 2011 and 12, I mean, they they hit the ground running. And um, so if there's any sort of uh, experience advantage for uh, Alabama, it's just that it seems like you know Nick Saban knows, what he, knows how to get his uh, team ready for the title game. Lesser bowls, maybe not. There, there are some issues there occasionally. But, uh, I mean, I, I trust that. I trust that Saban's going to put a really, really, really good product on the field. That doesn't mean Clemson won't. Uh, Clemson is completely unknown in that regard. Uh, but we kind of we have we, Alabama's kind of a known, I guess you would say. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think so too. And I guess for Clemson fans, the one thing we could take solace in is those teams had the benefit of, you know, four to five plus weeks um, break in between games, or maybe more like four weeks. Whereas mm. this time it's ten days um, preparation time, but. You're right. Like Nick Saban can definitely get his guys amped up and ready for this one. Um, one thing that that I, I was looking at, sort of their their season so far, and that stuck out to me was how slowly both teams start when Alabama plays, just from a scoreboard standpoint. And I looked this up. Um, they played 14 games, and in 11 of those games, um, both teams combined for nine or fewer points 11 times, um, and it was yeah. like three points or less in six of those games. Knowing that, and by comparison, Clemson, you know. There were maybe three matchups that were equivalent to that. Uh, how important do you think it is for Clemson to get on the scoreboard early? I mean, certainly it's all about where the where the scoreboard ends at the end of the game, and if there's a slow start, Clemson can still win. But just from like a game planning standpoint, do you think that's you know a, a major key to Clemson victory is is to get out there early? Well, you know what Lane Kiffin's going to do. It really seems like he's well, he's. 
as we heard uh, during the Michigan State game, I mean, he, he likes the script plays for a while. He likes to basically say, okay, here are all the things we're thinking about doing. Let's try a little bit of this and this and this. Let's see what works. And then uh, once we kind of lock in, you know, it, it all takes Thank off. On that. And that hasn't been the case every time. Uh, there have been a couple of games this year where they, they, you know, just came out smoking hot at the beginning. But, we, you know, against Michigan State, we saw exactly that. They were testing the, the perimeter a lot with a bunch of short passing. Um, they were t- trying to take advantage almost of the fact that Michigan State was going to be keen so much on Derrick Henry. Um, and then once they got kind of locked in, uh, you know, the deep ball started, you know, once they got the, the defense sufficiently spread out from side to side, the deep ball opened up and mm-hmm. eventually that opened up the run a little bit. Although it's it never really, aside from one carry that wasn't even by Derrick Henry, uh, the run never really did pick up all the way. So, I mean, in terms of a slow start or a fast start for Clemson, I think that's, you know, if you start fast on defense, that means you're kind of shutting down the, the initial game plan. And that would be a very good thing. Michigan State showed that, you know, just because you shut down the initial plays doesn't mean you'll keep shutting down everything else. But, it, you know, plan A or, or however you want to define it, mm-hmm. uh, shut that down first and then worry about the rest later. Yeah, and I, I, I almost feel like we, we feel a bit more confident in Clemson's secondary's ability to not even react. But um, if, if it is about going single coverage um, over the top to where we can try to stop Derrick Henry up the middle, um, I or their running game, um, I feel like that we, we feel confident in, in that uh, capability on the defense. Yeah, I, I think it's also as important for you know if the defense is solving the riddle there of Plan A um, on the flip side of the ball, not going three and out, not going you know two two single drops, two single possessions in the drive um, to to actually score touchdowns, not field goals, etc. I think that's as critical for Clemson in the first quarter. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's Alabama has is so completely dominant in the field position game mostly because they're even if they're not scoring they're more efficient than your offense is uh and in this case i mean the the royal you yeah uh, not clemson specifically but um opponents they they they, even when they punt they're you're punting quicker than they are and then they have really good special teams uh, especially in the return game so they just they have a built-in field position advantage there that becomes really really hard to shake um because it just continues to grow until they do score and then once they score i mean we we've seen it you know they are the ultimate you know put you in a bear hug type of of team once they have an advantage on you they know how to lean on you and lean on you and lean on you so um, I guess that's another way where a really nice fast start would not would not be a bad thing if you're Clemson and and you know as you mentioned some of the little things finishing drives uh, th- that has to go in Clemson's favor here. Clemson is Alabama has the built-in advantages overall, but Clemson's not that far away. And if they can do some of those things like uh, you know neutralize in, in, you know split the difference in field position, win the finishing drives aspect of things, then I mean that that advantage could shift. Yeah, that's something that we saw early in the Oklahoma game not go in Clemson's favor, closing out those drives. And fortunately, we were able to stymie their offense a bit where they're not going down and putting up points. Um, but again, against Alabama, I think you need a, almost a flawless effort um, in the red zone. I guess when you talk about the, um, the plan A, if you will, like what aspect of Clemson's offense do you think, if you're Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott, offensive coordinators, what would be your priority in getting out there from a point, a plan A standpoint, if you will, for, for moving the ball against this, this front? Well, really, I mean, stretching them side to side doesn't really do it. You, you have to kind of crack them open deep mm-hmm. at one point or another. However you plan on doing that, if that's the tight end, um, you know, if that's 
that's if that's the receivers, how whatever it is, I've got a piece coming out uh, on Thursday about you know kind of the the big play aspect of things. Ohio State had like seven gains of of twenty plus yards last year uh, against Alabama. I think Ole Miss earlier this year had five or six, if I remember right and you just have to you know efficiency is a must you know if you're going to beat Alabama's defense you just cannot go three and out you can't fall into third and nine um then Alabama's defense is good enough that you know efficiency is a must but you still need big plays too efficiency is an issue for offense they're, they're it's one of the most efficient offenses you know five six yards at a time keep that offense is in that regard but it's so hard to play you need as many of those big gains as possible and that's especially if Deion Kane's not playing I don't know it sounded like it was still kind of uncertain um it's just it's really really hard to do that without big plays and I'm not completely sure where those big plays come from Gallman you know up the middle the running game is almost like a triple option with Gallman and Watson and um Artavis Scott on the outside you know just you know five yards here five yards there six yards here and that's great but it's uh, it's really hard to sustain drives that way yeah, I think so. Well, we do know um, that Deion Kane won't be playing. He's been suspended. They're, they're calling okay. it indefinitely, um, so okay. he, he won't be going. But I, I guess maybe to, to go deeper on the term efficiency when you say that, it seems like it's not only, of course, like completion percentage when, when we do have those throwing plays, but it seems like getting in those short, short yardage third down situations so you're not relying on you know, a, a lower degree of, or a higher degree of difficulty, right? Right. I mean, everything I do is based around the idea, basically, of standard downs and passing downs, um, mm-hmm. staying on schedule, basically. And and you know, if you fall behind schedule against Alabama, you're really, really in a tough spot. Especially since Clemson, good on passing downs, but not you know, not necessarily elite on passing downs. They're elite on standard downs. If they stay on schedule, they will continue to stay on schedule and stay on schedule and stay on schedule, and they're great at that. Um, but they're only good when it comes to, you know, falling behind on second and eight or third and 10 and catching up. So, um, right. you know, avoid that if you at all, if it's at all possible to. Let me ask you in terms of efficiency, is that something that you saw in the Ohio State matchup? That's one that I'm sort of pointing to. There really isn't a, a similar offense or a proxy for Clemson that, that we've seen this year in terms of their opponents. And I, I, I want to look back to that Ohio State team and see if there are any sort of clues or mess, you know, um, Anything that we can draw from that one, clearly, you know, different personnel on the Alabama side, but you know, we're, we kind of look for what we can here. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the points I'm going to make in, in tomorrow's piece too with um, Alabama is we always try to look for patterns in their losses, but you have to go back five years to get like six losses. Right. So um, it's kind of tricky. Um, I think the, the the most interesting thing from that I took from the Ohio State game last year. Um, was the fact that Ohio State was able more than you know more than just about anybody else to really punish them deep because Cardell Jones has uh, just about the best arm you'll ever see um, in terms of arm strength. Sure. They were able to to really really um, I'm trying to pull it up here like on uh, well I keep pulling up the wrong one but I you know I, I like third and ten third and nine third and long they had three or four really really big completions. And, and um, that's something that, that that Alabama does not afford most teams. And that's not necessarily uh, Deshaun Watson's strength either. So I'm really curious about that. Um, yeah, here it is. They had uh, 26 yards on third and nine, 14 on third and 10, 40 on third and nine, 47 on third and eight, 26 on third and 10. That's ridiculous. That, yeah. that never, ever happens to Alabama. 
Um, and so, you know, Watson's ability to avoid sacks is good and it'll allow guys to get downfield, but then you still have to, you have to nail those passes. And this will be a really big test on, uh, of Deshaun Watson's arm. And I think we do, you know, when we look at Clemson's um, receiving options at this point, and certainly we're down Mike Williams this year and Deion Kane coming into this matchup, but there are there is a stable there of receivers that have made plays and that Deshaun Watson can find in certain spots. Um, we didn't see a couple of guys emerge last game. Jermon Hopper comes to mind on the Clemson side, but that's where, I, you know, I, I've, you mentioned before Lane Kiffin's adaptability, um, and, and, you know, he, he'll test his plan A, but he can find two to three other ways to beat you. I think that's that's also available there for Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, and um, that's something that, yeah, I think it is about the, um, battling that first wave of, of pressure that you get and finding those options. But the receivers are also going to have to make their catches. And yeah, seen- there's there's versatility in the receiving core that that goes beyond Scott. I mean, if, if basically it's kind of if you can't stop Scott, you're 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 done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can, like I looked in those games. Uh, the four games where Clemson was held under 34 uh, points, Scott only averaged 5.9 yards per catch, and in the other ten, he averaged 11.7. He's not he's not going to you know go you know 10 catches for 500 yards or anything crazy, but right. he's going to he's if you can keep him under six, seven, eight, nine yards per catch and force Watson to go to Plan B, then that's kind of the first battle for anybody facing Clemson. But the 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 problem is you don't know who Plan B is going to be. It could change from game to game depending on matchups, and you've got a nice array of, of of sizes and skill sets there from from Leggett to Peak to Renfro uh even without Kane uh you mentioned Hopper mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of different options there Alabama is as well equipped as anybody to handle all of those options of course but you still you're not leaning on one guy or two guys you will have uh options along the way maybe and you mentioned in um a piece you released this week that Alabama leads in passing S&P plus to what degree is that based on creating pressure versus, I guess I'm trying to get to a question where I ask you about um, how are their linebackers in coverage if Clemson does throw out there these um, designed five receiver sets that we saw in a couple moments against Oklahoma that mm. I wish we'd kind of pressed on further. Do you feel like they're, they're able to come up with packages to respond to that? Do their linebackers do well in coverage? What can we expect? Uh, I mean, from a pure statistical standpoint, yes, um, it really is. You know what the the improvement Alabama has managed in both the pass rush and uh, on the ball coverage has been pretty staggering this year, and it's why you know it's why we've been saying this is their best defense since probably 2011. I mean, you look at the the raw stats. Reggie Ragland has seven uh, pass breakups. Ruben Foster has nine. Um, you know they've they've you've gotten the interceptions and the breakups from the secondary, but those the linebackers are making plays too. And if you can have Ryan Anderson coming at the quarterback or even Jonathan Allen without them even sending more than three or maybe four guys. Um, and then you have Raglan and Foster dropping into coverage. That's a pretty, that's a pretty dangerous thing. We saw against Michigan state. I mean, Alabama is one of those teams that they're going to, they're going to give you a shot to make really tough passes. Um, and, and Connor cook made a few of them there, especially towards the end of the second uh, quarter and until he got baited into throwing that interception. Yeah, end of the um, first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and, yeah. That eight, what eighteen to twenty-two yard range, he, he was able to find a couple of those. Uh, but st- on average, this is still at least at worst an above-average pass coverage unit in terms of the linebackers. And that's something where we've seen Deshaun Watson at times make a poor decision with a throw to try to. It's not about fitting it into a tight spot. It's where coverage just is not to your advantage. Um, and it seems like Alabama will almost bait you into those throws. So that's something I imagine the coaching staff is is definitely instructing on this week. Um, but maybe as far as from Deshaun Watson's passing 
um, prowess or approach, if they're able to make their bones in the passing game, do you feel like it is primarily going to come with the deep ball in this game? You need a couple. I mean, you just you have to have that threat in the in the arsenal. You're not going to be able to rely on screen passes against Alabama. You you know you don't have to. He's not going to have to average 20 yards of completion. But like I said, you're going to need a few here and there. Uh, you know, it's almost assured uh, that they're not going to give up what they gave up to Ohio State on third and long. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's too much to ask of, of even if you're holding Alabama to 16, 19, 21 points. Um, it's it's too much to ask to say you know. That that you're only going to that you're going to get that many points with only the four six eight ten yard catches. You're going to have to go deep a couple of times um, just to let them know that it's there yeah. and stretch them out a little bit. Right, makes sense. Um, well, I think you know I mentioned you put out a, a piece earlier in the week that I, I would consider you know must read for for Clemson fans and folks looking ahead to this matchup, talking about the the game in the trenches. And I think you've convinced me that the team with the most like the best execution on either side of the lines will emerge victorious here. Um, but then we've got, you know, this is a weird sport and championship <laughs> games in recent years, you know, can be a bit unexpected. Um, Alabama certainly normally ends up playing the game plan that they set out to play. But um, if this one does kind of turn on its ear a bit, which team has shown you the most adaptability and ability to win outside of their comfort zone for this game? For those of us fans that, you know, might be thinking about some of the intangibles. Well, I mean, Clemson's proven about as much as you can in the intangibles department this year. The, the way that, you know, winning in a monsoon uh, against Notre Dame and, and becoming basically the first team to move the ball on Boston College, uh, adapting and, and hemming in Dalvin Cook a little bit as the game went on. Because that first quarter against Florida State did not look promising at all. And then they just made adjustments and they had the game pretty much shut down by halfway through the third quarter. Um, their ability to adapt and, and you know, just continue to, to figure out what works. It's been staggering considering how many sophomores they're relying on here. Uh, so many, so many young yeah. guys uh, uh, that have had to step up here, and they, they've done it. So whatever the reason for that is, just the perfect, you know, perfect chemistry, really good coaching, all of the above. Um, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I make it a habit to never pick against Alabama, and I'm almost always right in doing that. But Clemson has absolutely proven about as much as you possibly can from the intangible standpoint. Yeah, I, I think I see the game going almost like one of three directions. And the one is Clemson can execute better in the line and, and effectively move the ball on offense and shut down Alabama from scoring. As you pointed out, that's their key. The flip side of that is Alabama wins the day and, you know, dominates the trenches and imposes their will. I think the third is just, you know, havoc kind of breaks loose. And I think that's where seeing Clemson win um, in multiple different ways, win ugly, win big with the run game, win big with the pass, um, completely shut down, you know, certain like players like CJ Procise. Um, I think that that gives us confidence in that sort of, um, you know, in the weird kind of aspect of it, an odd game that comes through. Right. I mean, but it's not hard to craft a scenario where, you know, Clemson does to Derrick Henry about what Michigan State did, you know, about what, three yards per carry or something in that neighborhood. Uh, they tackle well on the short passes because, I mean, like, nobody nibbles around the edges of the defense like Lane Kiffin. You know he's going yeah. to, to test you with the, the horizontal passing to kind of stretch you out. Yep. Um, you know, and if, if, you know, the play action doesn't work, if, if you're forcing constant third and sevens in that regard, uh, that pass rush is, is tremendous, especially if Lawson's back and Reeves in 
reasonably healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not hard to see that leading to a turnover here or a couple short fields, uh, Clemson lead, and then you know you go from there. Alabama starts pressing, the pass rush works again, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's that is absolutely on the table, um, and you know you have to feel good about that if you're Clemson. This is the only team that. Um, in the country that I would pick to have a reasonable chance of beating Alabama, whatever reasonable means there. Uh, and it's going to be, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. The way I, I'm seeing this set up, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of take the under and take the points in this game. Yeah. And you feel, feel similarly. Yeah. I think the, the S and P projections are something like Alabama by three or four, if I remember right. Um, and, and so, you know, certainly closer than the spread. And, and it's really easy to see Alabama, you know, doing what Alabama does and, you know, winning a game by eight heading into the fourth quarter and then suddenly winning by 22. That's on the table as well. But on average, Clemson really has, you know, Alabama was the better team in November, but Clemson was the better team probably in September and October. So, yeah, you know, there's absolutely a chance there. Yeah, and I think there are moments where we, we as fans, again, you look, you look to their losses or you look to their close games for signals or clues there were times when Alabama looked maybe less dominant than they have in the November-December stretch. Texas A&M even comes to mind. That one was a shootout. Tennessee, they trailed late. Obviously, Ole Miss. But um, I think the common factor there is teams with capable offenses that can you know, keep them on their heels a little bit. And that's really, I think, what gives us the most hope. So Right. The first three quarters, you're just looking for opportunities here and there. And, of course, then you have to take advantage of them. But, I mean, even in the games like Florida and uh, Auburn, where they they where they never it really never felt like they were in danger, and they ended up winning by comfortable margins. They were still it was one possession in the third quarter, or even yeah. Auburn. I think it was one possession headed into the fourth quarter. Um, and you can so, say the I mean, same what, for that's could, what you have to point to. And you could uh, say the same for Clemson's finish as well. I mean, yeah, probably less you know less of a, a sexy finish. I would say against we were facing teams you know like Syracuse, NC State, and to a lesser degree South Carolina there um, with the same scenario. Yeah, no, I was very, I was getting to be pretty worried about Clemson the way they were, they tailed off after Florida State. So um, it was yeah. certainly good to see the full season version of Clemson bounce back against mm -hmm. Oklahoma, even with the injuries and, and Deion Kane and whatnot. So right. uh, definitely good to see that. It was nice reinforcement. Um, but yeah, it, it was certainly what, what you could tell that once they cleared that Florida State hurdle, they, they, they checked down into about fourth gear for a little while there. Yeah, I think that is a matter of that. And they, they spoke to the fatigue factor and, having the bye week just after week three versus kind of more in the middle of the season. But right. you know, we, we were happy to have that, that break before Oklahoma, and certainly now these 10 days, we're going to need every one of those to prepare for this team. Um, any sort of parting thoughts about this matchup? I mean, do you feel like this is one of the, the best national championship games we'll have seen in the past few years? Where, where um, I mean, on paper, it's certainly closer uh, in, in you know, projection-wise than... Um, I'm trying to think what Oregon, Ohio State. I guess that one was pretty close last year from a projection standpoint. But um, mm -hmm. you know, it's you know, heading into the game, I thought Florida State was going to beat Auburn pretty easily. I definitely thought Alabama was going to beat Notre Dame pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it certainly there's there's a really fun set of matchups here. So I, I'm certainly looking forward to it in that regard. I you know, like I said, the, no matter what podcast I'm on here, I always pick Alabama, and, and right. I'm going to here too. But it's mm -hmm. all about scenarios, and there are some scenarios on the table that very much favor Clemson. And I think the game that we we would point to as fans as a proxy, if it could go our way, I look at the Texas USC game from about ten years ago as you've got sort of the Vince Young Deshaun Watson comparison. Um, USC were the dominant team in that era coming into that game. You know, maybe the comparisons end there, but if we could have that caliber of a game, that's like one of the best of all time. 
neutrally as a college football fan. You know, I think yeah, you'd prefer to that. just go ahead and win by 28. <laughs> sure, exactly. But, but that wouldn't be a bad backup. Right, exactly. Um, so you're on Bama. Obviously, the numbers say what they do. Um, you know, appreciate you coming on here. Um, for everyone out there, definitely follow Bill on Twitter. Once more, that's at SBN underscore Bill C. Um, Bill, you've also published author of or you're the published author of Study Hall College Football: Its Stats and Its Stories. That's available right now on Amazon. Um, podcast ain't played nobody. Must <laughs> must subscribe. Yeah. And and if uh, yeah, this is a good week to check out podcast ain't played nobody because in the last in our last episode, Godfrey had a really big rant on why college football needs Clemson to beat Alabama, so everybody stops imitating Alabama. So that'll be fun to listen to, I think. Absolutely, we will we will be sure to plug that one out there with links for everybody. So um, thank you so much for for making the time and um, enjoy the game and enjoy the absolutely. Hockey. Cool. Thanks.